important. He turns the official looking envelope over in his hands. It has his name on it. But why should he get a letter from the Central Adoption Agency? It's intriguing. But he has no time and energy for intrigue just now. He tosses it back unopened on the counter and busies himself with his life. And only remembers it again when he gets another letter from them two weeks later. This time stamped important in bold red letters. He almost tosses that on the counter too. But that important chastises him. And he thinks, if it's so critical to somebody, the least he can do is open it and take a peek before tossing it. Though what common cause an adoption agency can have with him, a single man, he cannot fathom. The letter informs him that someone who'd left a child for adoption years ago named him as next of kin. To be informed in case the adopted child came seeking his or her birth parents and they were no longer alive. The child, now an adult, has indeed returned and the birth parent is deceased. The responsibility now legally devolves to him. Would he be willing to uphold this obligation? This is an A1 spiral creating question and he is immediately tossed into a crazy spiral. Who? And why he? And what kind of adoption agency requires next of kin information? And why hadn't that person asked his consent before nominating him? What bloody cheek! Why the heck should he care? But can he live with himself if he doesn't accept? This is a bloody officious intrusion. But he damn well knows he can't turn his back on such a request. It's certain to be a wretched nuisance. And how is he going to make the time? Just because he's a bachelor, people assume he's a free bird. And if he is indeed a free bird, what's it to anyone else? They could have chosen that life too. <sighs> he's going to have to present himself at this blasted agency there's no way he can ignore a request like this and he damn well knows it. He spends the rest of the weekend doing some deep digging. His explorations are gratifying, thankfully. This seems a responsible organization at least. No hint of any shady shenanigans. The board is composed of reputed people covering many appropriate skills. Lawyers, Pediatricians, psychologists, school principals, respected citizens from civil society. And the agency has been around for decades. Huh, that's obvious if adopted kids are growing up and coming back seeking birth parents. This is a fine soup he's in. Whose kid could it be? Someone who's dead, obviously, and someone related to him since he's next of kin. He has no siblings, so that leaves his parents. It can't be them. Please God, it can't be them. Then who the heck is it? Aunts? Uncles? But they all have their own kids. Why should they foist this on him? He makes himself right back, saying 
he wants to talk to someone a bit further on the subject before making a decision. But he knows he's only playing for time. He's been committed since the moment he opened that letter. His personal integrity won't let him walk away. And that's why he's the chosen one, he realizes. Whoever it was who'd nominated him knew him only too well. Knew he'd see this difficult task through. He goes. And they have some preliminary discussions. And he's given a letter. From the birth father, he's told. The person who'd nominated him. His name, typed on the agency envelope. No hints there. He asks for some privacy to read such a crucial document. And what a good idea that turns out to be. For the moment he slits open the envelope, he almost falls down in shock before he even reads a word. The multiple sheets of thin onion paper that come spilling out and the bold round handwriting are instantly familiar. His knees buckle and he stumbles to a chair, holding his thudding chest trying to calm the madly pounding heart within it. He can hear his breath shuddering in and out of his gaping mouth and he just can't make himself look at those papers fluttering in his trembling hands. He walks around for a few minutes, drinks some of the water helpfully provided for him, takes off his specs and cleans them before putting them on again. Finally, he makes himself sit down and read the letter. From his father. He begs Ved's forgiveness, not for his own sake, but for the wrong he has done his mother. This letter will come to Ved only if Papa is dead. He acknowledges his guilt unequivocally. He makes no excuse. He gives no explanation. It happened, that's all. His biggest punishments are that he's had to stay away from an innocent child of his own flesh whom he should have loved and provided for and the guilty torment he's lived with every day since he continued to love and respect Ved's mother and value her faithfulness and loyalty and love the more since he had denied them to her. Even though only briefly, madly, incomprehensibly, but he had been unfaithful. It was true. His grief at her death had only been mitigated by his gratitude that she'd never come to know this terrible truth, for it would surely have destroyed her. Now, he begs his honourable son to be the man he himself was so patently unable to be. To respond to his daughter, Wade's half-sister, and tell her the truth. He gives no details of the mother. She does not wish to be known or to acknowledge this child. Some facts must be permitted to die. But the girl can be given some information about her father. He trusts only Ved to do this. It's a big thing to ask. It's a very unfair thing to ask. He knows it. But he has no one else. And the child, whom he has failed so spectacularly, deserves some answers. He would willingly have done it himself, 
But the fact that Ved is reading this letter means that opportunity has passed. There are pages and pages. So typically his father's epistolary style. And he reads them all, over and over. He cannot believe what he is reading. It cannot possibly be true. Except that it is, as confirmed by his father's own hand. He feels shock, denial, incandescent rage. He argues with himself and his dead dad. He cries for his betrayed mother. And finally, he comes to acceptance. It happened. He has to deal with it. There's a young girl involved. There's a knock and someone enters with tea. An older lady. He looks surreptitiously around the room. Does it have a spy cam? That she can time her entry so perfectly? He catches himself. He's being foolish, jumpy. But can one blame him? She offers her regrets for the shock he's experiencing. She's evidently been through this many times. He asks her if she remembers the birth parents in this case. But she says she hasn't been here that long. Only the last eight years. And this case is more than 15 years, isn't it? But she has met the adopted child. He bundles all his doubts into a tight ball and swallows them. What is she like? He asks. She's young and pretty. Early twenties, obviously wealthy. Dresses smartly, speaks well, carries herself authoritatively. Single, no wedding ring. Her eyes dip briefly to his unadorned ring finger. She looks vulnerable, hesitant and also unaccustomed to being hesitant. He asks for a name, but she withdraws. It's not permitted. She has already said too much. She should not have spoken until he'd officially pronounced his willingness and signed a document. Then they would set up a meeting. But uh, he's not yet ready. He needs some more time, a few days. She understands. That's quite normal. This is a difficult experience. He needs to be sure. It could be a big responsibility. It could change his life. He leaves a completely different Ved from the one who walked in. It takes him some time to get back to normal, but when he does, he has a better handle on things. Still angry, still distraught, still betrayed, still apprehensive about how things will pan out. But he's found a way to get a grip on it. The older woman had dropped a lot of information about the girl. She may not have intended to, but she'd revealed a lot. It's a moment's work to put a trace on the agency with the instruction to look out particularly for one such as her. There can't be too many young, wealthy, unused to being hesitant-looking girls visiting the agency. In only a few days she is located and he has the information he wants. Her adoptive parents are wealthy. She's well-educated, socially active, gainfully employed, all positives. He reads the data about her obsessively and finally comes to the decision 
that he has to meet her take a look at her in person at least once why should that be so important he doesn't know still acknowledges that it is he is going to arrange it so that it looks accidental later on when they meet officially at the agency if he decides to take it forward he can always say what a coincidence he mollifies himself she's part of a very swish group big spenders fancy cars designer clothes she has nothing to gain from his simpler life except the information it seems she desires he walks into the five star hotel he can be cool nobody knows anything he is looking for a girl who does not know he exists or the story that has brought him here he has no reason to be discreet but still he should be careful he is standing near the doorway and surveying the golden banquet hall filled with trendy young men in slim trousers and jackets and beautiful young women with salon gorgeous hair and bland unmoving faces he espies her across the room he intends to bump into her and spill his drink so he gets himself a glass of beer he almost returns it immediately it will make a sticky mess on her clothes water would have been better but too late now he gulps down a few quick glugs of dutch courage and starts wafting in her direction he's getting closer he can hear her chatting with her friends he can almost touch her now's the moment but she turns to leave the group and careens wildly into him spilling her drink all over him she gasps oh, i'm so sorry bhai sahab i didn't notice you a waiter rushes to them with serviettes and she grabs them to brush the liquid spill from his suit jacket and sleeve apologizing profusely for being so bumblefooted he flushes from head to toe she'd called him bhai sahab brother and it twists his insides with molten guilt what a horrid person he is when she looks into his face grinning ruefully He accepts her apologies as gracefully as he can and makes a paltry stab at taking part of the blame himself. She was not to know. It's too crowded. It doesn't matter. Please, don't worry. They pacify each other and then go their separate ways. He finds a seat in a corner and urgently taps out an email into his phone to the agency. He can make himself available. any weekday evening between 6 and 8 pm they should contact the girl and set it up he hits send and feels a soft peace descend on him that has eluded him since he opened that letter marked important she has their father's chin it's quite unmistakable